1: Welcome back. As we head into Hour 3, it is a delight that so shines a uh, a good deed in a weary world or a naughty world, whether you're quoting uh, Roald Dahl or William Shakespeare. It is a delight to bring back uh, an old voice and an old friend and an, uh, a young face, and that is the great Lewis Hallman, who has been Like Ulysses, I don't know where you have been. You'll hopefully update the audience. You have been sorely missed. It is a delight to have you back. You are the Managing Director of Insight Analytics, among other things, and you are uh, the son, one of the sons of Mr. Hugh Hallman, who is always with us on uh, Tuesdays when he's in town, former mayor of Tempe, civic leader, attorney, gentleman. We used to do this a ton in 2020 and 2021, and we have missed you, young Lou.
2: I am so sorry. Uh, I have been out uh, in the wide world of management consulting, and I am so thrilled to be back, like Napoleon, returning from Elba, this megalomaniac is back in the room and ready to have some fun. Well, we've been pining for you, spinning Penelope's web.
1: We can keep stretching the Greek... Uh,
3: <laughs> I'm going to let these two do that yeah. because they're both yeah. classically educated, and I only ran schools to classically educate... You were classically educated Because, I, yes, I, I was denied that opportunity. So, you know, I had trouble doing my arithmetic.
1: So I'll ask you the question um, that... Uh, Jerry Lewis asked Dean Martin in one thousand nine hundred and seventy six when he was reunited by Frank Sinatra, when they were reunited on the
2: on the telethon you been working I, I have indeed i have indeed it has been a, a very very interesting couple of years uh, working with a lot of clients yeah. uh, uh, business owners in a, in a bunch of industries it 's really given me the ability to look into a lot of, of different industries and see how the economy is effect, uh, impacting small businesses and how we're seeing the changes from sort of the stimulus-driven crazy pandemic policy moving to sort of the petering out of, the, of, of all of the extra money through the system, seeing interest rates rise, and now seeing the uh, economy sort of start to chug and uh, uh, slow down in some sectors. The Talmud
1: says that he is w wa- he who is wise is he who sees tomorrow. Anyone can see what's going on in front of them. Our job has been to lift the veil so that more people can see it. But you've always been really good about warning us about what's coming and what things we should be worried about that we're not, Lewis. Uh what are what's been worrying you the last couple years or last couple minutes?
2: You know, the the abject worry has in fact slowed down a little bit. Um, you know, the, the, the COVID mismanagement was profound and large and had some real legs to it. And so now I you know, we're we're sort of in that that pause where we're now not in a a state of emergency. You know, we're staring down the twenty twenty four election, so that's obviously uh, uh captured some of my attention. But I, I would say the, the the largest thing that, that concerns me right now is America's uh, willingness to have difficult conversations with itself, as well as uh, um, thinking about how we want to set up our economy and how we want to set up our self-narrative going into the future, so that as we face the rest of this decade, you know, as China's demography continues to implode, as they continue to have problems, as uh, uh, globalization starts to decouple... Um, and we see the, the sort of the lingering uh, uh, energy shocks uh, uh, impact the the EU, and food crises around the world. You know, it, it's going to be very dark for the rest of the world. And it and is my hope that the U.S. doesn't abrogate its position as the city on its hill and fail to take a moral position where one is warranted. Do you think we're having a good conversation with ourselves? Absolutely not. No, no. Uh, we... you know, I think
3: you misspoke. You actually said it's willingness, and you meant it's unwillingness to have these deep conversations about these important issues.
2: Yeah, uh, you, you're, you're, you're quite right. Uh, you know, At, at the moment, um, I, I think it's very easy to fall into sort of the The cheap name calling of partisan politics rather than than sort of the the larger, you know, really issues focused discussions that we have uh, or or really that we need to be having. Um, and, And there frankly is not a very good forum for those, at least amongst our elected officials. I will say, however, that siloed though it may be, you know, the one great thing about the internet and the increase of decentralized communications is that these conversations are being had. There are a lot of smart people out there talking about really deep and interesting ideas yourself among them Seth, but that our our electorate is not having these, these these conversations means that that we as as the citizenry haven't done a good enough job pushing these issues to the fore and demanding that they happen mr. hallman
3: well I just uh, in some ways disagree with Lewis in that uh, I don't think the conversations are taking place in an effective way to impact the uh, public square and move the public and political debate into directions to address real problems in large part because the extremes on both sides have taken the position that if you do not agree with them, if you're not a hundred percenter, you will be destroyed and that the cost of uh, the left sides uh, doing cancel culture routines with now X previously Twitter, Facebook, all of that stuff. We saw that during COVID uh, we saw significant um A number of people being eliminated from the public square because they would not espouse the chosen narrative of uh, the administration and uh, the sort of leftist uh, corporate media side of things. And we've seen recently even a news story in The Washington Post goes on and on and on about the misinformation research is buckling under GOP legal attacks. This is the point About That we can't have conversations here. The Washington Post is saying that there's legitimate research going into determining what is misinformation and that it is somehow the GOP's fault that we are uh, fomenting misinformation. And yet, what are they researching? They're they're researching the attacks on. Twitter and Facebook and others for uh, disenfranchising people who didn't go along with the COVID narrative that was being put out by the the majority uh, uh, voices at the time. That was shutdowns are good. We've got to get kids out of school. We all need to wear masks and all the other sort of narrative items, which since that debate and those conversations, much of it's been proved to have been nonsense, Uh, that uh, it's the old joke about lawyers now converted to uh, Anthony Fauci. How can how do you tell when Anthony Fauci is lying? His lips are moving.
1: if, If that if that's the essay I'm thinking of, it's a rather long one. Uh, it, it is the
3: essay you're thinking of because you were the I, one who sent it to me yeah, and said it's a, it's this probably is probably
1: about 4500 words and, and there and is I don't no think proof. there's no example. <laughs> exactly. There's, right. They have no example of GOP misinformation in It
3: there. is it is it is opinion. Yeah. It is a news story disguising opinion as fact. Yeah. All complaining about the fact that somehow the GOP and Republicans are responsible for preventing scientists and researchers from voicing their opinions right. that they're under such attack. And yet I don't remember any of those people being canceled from Twitter or Facebook and the like. Then, similarly, you have the New York Times. And this is why I thought Lewis uh, would be particularly useful today. News story from the uh, about a week ago, uh, not even that, September 23rd Um, in hospitals. Viruses are everywhere. Masks are not. And it is, again, a a pretensive news story suggesting that all of these hospitals that are operating that they're looking at are are operating without masks and how terrible that is with opinion after opinion after opinion expressed from somebody, uh, Mrs. X, uh, in this neighborhood or at this hospital about why this is outrageous. Flying in the face of the fact that we know from the extensive studies now done on the efficacy of masks that they did nothing to stop the spread of COVID-19, nor did they change the health outcomes of people who wore masks versus those who did not. And so here we have these kinds of conversations going on where our most important sources of of uh, debate about facts Have been eliminated. This is the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times, two of the most important newspapers in our country and in its history, pretending to be providing news when all they are providing is a leftist opinion. And I thought Lewis could help us because I know he went back into the archives And when I mean archives, I mean the CDC archives to pull out information because they have gone into overdrive in hiding the data because the data is so bad against them. So I would ask Lewis, as an example, uh, to set this up when we come back to talk about what the CDC has said sort of as its public face about what's going on with covid and then we'll peel back the mask, to talk about the reality, the data, and what it shows about what we should be thinking about. In contrast to the drumbeat of the New York Times or Joe Biden, that COVID is back, we need to be afraid, we all need to wear masks, and we need to start thinking about how to protect our children from this scourge. Uh,
1: As we go to break, and right before uh, Lewis weighs in on all of that, when we do come back, I just want to point out a The Washington Post talking about conservative or Republican efforts to censor scientific research. Uh, it makes me want to quote Dustin Hoffman, Ben Braddock, and The Graduate. That's a laugh, Mrs. Robinson. That's really a laugh. When you think about who was getting censored and the Great Barrington Declaration run by three of the most well-published scientists in the country who could not get their word out and who it was later testified to by um, by uh, by the director of the National Institutes of Health, Francis Collins, there was a concerted effort within the administration to silence the Great Barrington Declaration? It's really a laugh. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Hugh Hallman and Lewis Hallman are my guests in studio. So great to have, speaking of band on the run, so great to have the band back together again. Lewis, you were given a big assignment from your daddy right before the commercial break, and if you want to take it on. We'll grade you. I'll do-
3: Hold it. I want to I set it up again. Lewis, yeah. I want you first to describe what you told me before I then started asking questions about what the CDC is doing. So I'm the average reader. I go to the CDC website, and this is what I get.
2: All right. So, so if, if you go into Google and you you punch in uh, uh, a search for uh, COVID death data, what you'll see from the, the, the first result from the CDC is a large map of the United States. It's color-coded. And it's color-coded, and and the entire scale of the map is the percent of all deaths reported that were uh, uh, either caused by or uh, where COVID was present or thought to be present. And so this is uh, effectively the percentage of all deaths in the last week dying with, but not necessarily from, COVID. And what's really interesting about that is that it tells you that, you, that about 2.7% of all of the deaths... Ah, uh, uh, uh,
3: it doesn't tell you that. that's my That was the question that led yeah, you to that does, answer. Go ahead.
2: All right, actually. So so it, it then tells you that about 2.7% of all of the deaths uh, uh, in the United States are, are COVID-related. And that's a fascinating way to present that data because my initial reaction was, I have no earthly idea how to feel about that because I don't know how many deaths that is. Mm-hmm. 2.7% of deaths, what does that even mean? And so a, as it happens... Um, that uh, uh, works out to about half as many people that have died from something like like diabetes, which is one of the leading causes of deaths and responsible for about a hundred thousand year to date. You didn't now, tell them what the number we're is today. There. Hold given, on, give them the number to date. So, I did some more googling and okay. I found that approximately fifty thousand people in the U.S. have died from, uh, from with or where COVID was thought to be present in twenty twenty three.
3: N- meaning COVID was wearing a cocktail dress standing next to the bed. But okay,
2: right. Well. Of those 50,000 approximately, uh, 1,500 of them are aged 50 and below, with the median age somewhere around 78. What's interesting about that-
3: Now let's take that apart. 1,500, 50 and under. Out of 50,000 total deaths, which is half the number of uh, diabetes deaths- Runs consistent with RSV, the flu, the usual stuff that we have. That we didn't shut down schools, cause kids to commit suicide, and do all the other sort of policy things that we'll talk about in a moment.
2: So again, that, that then this is uh, called color commentary, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. So 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 of the of the of the fifteen hundred people, then uh, uh, those are aged fifty and under, like I was saying. Now uh, that then leaves approximate. That's about six percent then of the total, which means that from Two point seven percent of all deaths in the U.S. If you then take the the six percent of those that are actually under fifty, that means that about point one eight percent of all deaths in the U.S. are young people dying of COVID. Young
3: people defined as 50 and under, for which I'm grateful that fifty is now defined as young. Thank you, Louis.
2: Yeah, well, bottom half of their lives, we'll say. So, <laughs> interestingly enough, so so another, a, another another fun. Definitely, s- it was the bottom half of my <laughs> life. <laughs> so, in, another interesting stat on that. So. With the with the median death age in that sample from COVID being a uh, uh, a little above the age of seventy eight. Yeah. Fun thing about that: the U.S. median life expectancy as of twenty twenty was seventy seven. Yeah, it's gone down the last couple of years, hasn't it? No, it went up. It, it, it's it's uh, uh, been. Well, I think ad- we've had
1: three years of going of of longevity decline, haven't we? Uh,
2: very very minor decreases, yes. Yeah, okay. But uh, even prior to pandemic, we're talking at about seventy eight. So so okay. the median rate at which people are dying is in fact. The median life expectancy, yeah, right? Sort of a lunatic, lunatic claim that then this is some sort of uh, of aberration. ungodly health crisis or aberration. And
3: most important, here's here's I want to build on the point Lewis was making, with not from with or at which COVID was thought to be present. Very important keywords. Correct. Why do we say that? We, so we then looked at
2: the total number of deaths is approximately. 50,000. That's the total all causes, you mean? Uh Uh-huh. All causes is about 2.1 million. 2.1 million.
3: 50,000 of those, which means 2.7% approximately, have died with or in which COVID in the cocktail dress is present in the room. We're not quite sure what that meant. Uh, Held in a cup. Or suspected. Uh, Yeah. The point being is, what do you think the probability is at any given time that somebody in our population is walking around with the COVID virus. Since we already remember from two years ago that you have something between 50 and 80% of all COVID cases are asymptomatic, people don't know they have a disease, they're just walking around with an active virus, otherwise not complaining. What do you think the probability is that any given person has a COVID virus in them? Lewis and I sort of postulate looking at all the data is it's going to run in that 2 to 3% range. So what you're really saying, CDC, is that if somebody drops dead, on average, they're likely as well, equally likely, to also be carrying the COVID virus. So the
2: other side of this would be
3: true as well. Just to
2: say they're as likely as anyone else. They're not as likely as not, upon dropping dead, to be carrying the COVID Correct. virus.
3: Well, except that it, what I'm trying to say, Lewis, is at any given moment, the same proportion of the population who is alive is carrying covid so it is indifferent it's irrelevant to the determination of whether you died it is not a cause it is consistent it is present but the likelihood i will give you a better statistic the likelihood that somebody in that population of 2.1 million people who has died in 2023 having skin is much higher Uh uh-huh Mm -hmm. or having both of their lungs much, much higher. And that is also true of people who are living. The point is it's irrelevant. They are now using this point to scare people yet again that COVID is somehow present and going to kill us all. And that's why we're sitting here together, me and Lewis, because you've got the CDC and you've got the New York Times trying the drumbeat again. For what end? For what purpose?
2: Well, I, I would say one possible purpose would be the massive enriching of one and oneself and one's friends through shoveling out the pork barrel with stimulus. For example, for example, you know, uh, one of the, the great stats on this show, as we as we covered the pandemic together, that we discovered was that we'd spent more in a single year than the inflation adjusted defense expenditure for the entirety of World War II on fighting the the virus and its economic. Uh, aftershocks, Or
3: claiming to fight the virus in right. its aftershocks. We, we,
2: we now also see the federal government having raised its estimate of COVID fraud, raising it again from $60, million, 60 billion, excuse me, to $135 billion, which is an obscene amount of money. That is the fraud that we have admitted to and found.
1: You know, it's not just that money. But it's the money that was spent after to address the problems that we created during the. Right. All of, of the money down, that has to be spent
2: catching up students dollars, from, right? you know, that have had three years of ap- academic decline. Right. All of the money, you know, that, that, that got spent to uh, uh, fund unemployment for people where industries were closed inappropriately, gyms or movie theaters and the like.
1: Let me come back on why I am worried about the next turn on this and the next phase on this and get your mutual thoughts on that when we do come right back. Lewis Hallman is my guest. He's the managing director of Inside Analytics, along with former mayor of Tempe, lawyer and uh, educator and um, civic, uh, civic leader, Hugh Hallman. We'll be right back. We'll pick up on this when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Lewis Holman and Hugh Holman are my guests. Um, One of the curiosities, one of the real head scratchers I had uh, for the last uh, year or so was whether or not we would be seeing any coming to terms with everything that this country and the various states and municipalities and institutions got wrong (laughs) with regard to the attempt to mitigate, stop, uh, end COVID. Uh, whether it was the vaccines and the mandates, whether it was the shutdowns, whether it was the closures of schools and the like, masks, whether there was going to be any accountability or any admission of wrong, there was, as best I could tell, a half of an admission from one of the the outside-the-government spokespeople. She was a physician, go-to physician at CNN and a columnist at The Washington Post, Leanne Wen who made a kind of half-hearted, yes, we got it wrong, now let's have an amnesty and move forward. And, and the head-scratching stopped about three weeks ago or so when I realized, oh, the reason there was no admission, the reason there was no coming to terms, the reason there was no discussion about what we got wrong and what we got right was because they're going to do it again. That's the reason there was no admission that's the reason there was no apology that was the reason there was no accountability that's the reason there was no coming to terms because it was a test or at least a template
2: Lewis you are thinking in exactly the same way I am my friend um, so h- here would be the other other scenario as well right that that I would I would put to you can you imagine what would have happened if instead of spending six trillion dollars on every Policy idea that everyone had ever had in Washington, and every pet project and and pork barrel idea that they that they, they that they figured. What if we'd spent just a trillion dollars, right? Just a trillion dollars, one with twelve zeros behind it, uh, and and gave all of that money just to hospital workers and hospitals for the overtime and stress of dealing with the pandemic, and to attract more of them. And we spent nothing else on anything else. That would have saved us, you know, maybe five trillion in in, in Government debt, perhaps, and now that we've raised interest rates about six percentage points, that would be what five trillion at six percent. That's three hundred billion dollars in government debt a year. Interest,
3: interest payments.
2: Interest payment on the debt, right? To say nothing else of the one hundred thirty-five trillion, I'm uh, sorry, billion dollars in in fraud that the the federal government has admitted to. So we are all a massive, massive, massive amount poor through this, and it's it's because of a principal agent problem. You don't care care very much how accurately the money spent if you're spending someone else's money on someone else. And and this is the, the constant challenge with these sorts of solutions is that you get this diffusion of responsibility so that everyone can make whatever hysterical claims they would like to make. We all then have to collectively dig deep and sacrifice our future for the emotional stability of whoever is making the complaint. And then suddenly we're off to the races and, and this play is going to be repeated over and over again. It is the shelter of of those who say that government is there to solve people's problems for them and to assuage their fears and feelings.
3: So your point, and I think it ultimately is made in your monologue as well, the the, the the umbrella under which you hang this is immigration, but it comes to the same point. The reason one cannot have an apology for what happened from February of 2020 until six or eight months ago is that the playbook will be used again. It isn't the specifics uh, of which, how much money got spent for these particular items. It is the playbook that money can be spent to provide... Uh, slop to the hogs that are in the constituency base for those who...
2: And what this has demonstrated is that the threat can in fact be very nebulous and it can be very emotionally driven. It does not need to be substantiated. There hardly needs to be blood flowing through the streets to pull the trigger on trillions of dollars of expenditure. Consent can be censured.
1: Question it can be censured.
2: And so now we have to ask what arenas is this going to show up in? Climate change is a very, very likely scenario, as is what the next public health outcry of the year
3: well seth's monologue is about how it is now being used with immigration we were it it is the dialectic again we deny that people are being let across the border easily remember during covid you couldn't get into the country on a jetliner paying business class fare with covid or unless you had a covid test or a vaccine but you could come across our southern border easily without worry and had to be admitted freely interesting Those are the playbooks that are going to—the plays that are going to continue to be run. And it is not just uh, without uh, complaint. It is censuring the opposition and that that will be done again.
1: Let me take this break and come back on that and talk about the scenarios we should be on the lookout for. Indeed, right. This takes us back to the Washington Post piece. They set the template—this might be more than 4,500 words. It's several pages. It's— Washington Post doesn't usually spill this much ink on something unless they think it's super important. In this case, misinformation research is buckling under GOP legal attacks. Boy, we're in an Orwellian world. We'll be right back. This episode of the Seth Leibson Show, sponsored in part by the Number Nine. Welcome back, folks. Hugh Hallman is my guest, along with Lewis Hallman. Lewis Hallman is the managing director at Inside Analytics. Hugh Hallman has uh, been our steady on Tuesdays. He is the former mayor of Tempe, an attorney in town, an educator, and many other things—civic, uh, civic leader, philanthropist—you name it. I could go on and on. Uh, yes. So, Lewis, during the break, you were actually explaining to me a phenomenon that you. Tell me, you have taught me before. It was unfamiliar. I at least need
2: reminding. Tell the audience, yeah. About so, this. so, what to
1: look out for here?
2: Spreading misinformation is is one of those what's called a Russell conjugation, and and Russell conjugations are this idea where we use language, we use verbs. This is where Bertrand we give Russell, a, right? Exactly. Uh, you we, called we, in on this. Yep. We we yes, use a very charitable yes. interpretation for ourselves, and we use the worst possible for yeah. our opponents. So so the the Russell conjugation in this case, case would be something like. Uh, I took an unpopular stand. Uh, you were wrong. Uh, he is a dangerous peddler of misinformation. Mm-hmm. Right. All of these can be talking about someone we disagree with. But if the if the political frame of reference is incorrect, you can call them a dangerous peddler of misinformation and get off guiltily. Yeah. Or, Guilt free, yeah. Guilt free, excuse me. Yes.
1: Yeah. It's kind of interesting because you do hear that exact formulation from leaders in the Democratic Party dangerous views on climate denial, for example. Not well, the other, but... the
2: other the classic example of a right. Russell conjugation would be something like uh, I reevaluated my position. Uh, you changed your mind. Uh, he flip flops, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. And and the use of that
1: language to, I think, support or at least defend their efforts at ce- what we would call censorship, what they would call eliminating misinformation, is very much the kissing cousin to something your dad and I uh, were present for when, at the state legislature, watching uh, many Democratic representatives and senators in our state legislature talking about the need, the import, and the rationale to ban hate speech. Hate speech is constitutionally protected speech. The reason, in part, it's constitutionally protected is because it is only definable by the person making the allegation. And you could certainly wipe out entire categories of otherwise protected speech the moment you label something hate as something you disagree with. It's the very same issue with misinformation. There's this interesting piece. I don't know if you saw it by Andy Kessler in The Wall Street Journal uh, about two days ago pointing out that we are living now um at a record high moment of adult anxiety. And one of the leading causes in his view, he had six categories of socio-political contribution to anxiety, which is approaching something like 30% of our population unheard of. It's 9% in 2019. Uh think about that, you know. Think about that. Under Donald Trump, who was, you know, the horse in the hospital let set loose in the hospital, it was nine percent today. With the calm and
2: it's almost as if yeah. mask mandates, uh, not being able to see one another's faces, yeah. distancing, and yeah. other quarantine measures yeah. are exactly the recipe you would use to yeah. move from a high trust society yes. to a low trust society. Yes, yes,
1: yes, exactly. And exacerbate
3: right. anxiety, and that is the point. And he extinction
2: point. anxiety was one of
1: the six things, though that everything is everything is existential now. Yep. Well. At,
3: but truly, use of the, his use of the word extinct yeah. is not just existential, our existence, Correct. but that we will all die, right. Right. that we right. are all at risk of death from COVID, from climate change, right. from political fomentation,
1: that yeah.
3: we're mm-hmm. all truly, right. we are at risk for death. Right. That is what a huge proportion of our population, a much larger proportion of the population, I might add, than died with COVID, um, are concerned about the fact that they might perish at any moment because of the crazy environment that's going
2: on. So something is very, something strange is very, uh, wow, I can't speak right now. Something very strange is happening to us environmentally. Um, One of the interesting statistics I've come across recently is looking at the the rise in uh, average birth uh, age for women of, of their first child and oh, yeah. delayed, this, uh, this delayed, has been yeah. increasing you know over the decades on, on a pretty up, upward trend and one of the things that you see it's a, a very large marker of societal tension historically when young women have fewer and fewer children the last time that number was actually above 28 that I'm aware of was the black death hmm and so from a species perspective Something is happening to us, and we are, we are certainly under a very strange pressure, although much of that pressure is of our own making, because we've changed the way that we interact with the world, we interact with society, and, and with one another. You know, before, before I was born, online dating wasn't a thing, but now it's how 30% plus of all relationships start. We are changing ourselves quite a lot, and we are not always sure how and why. And one of the things that is very easy to do is to lay the blame of all of the uncertainty and the ire that we feel at the face of our political opponents spreading misinformation when in fact, it requires a lot more of a deep, sober analysis across a wide variety of fields to really articulate what is happening to us and where we're going. Just
3: that, you know, as, as we face these issues, I'm going to put in a plug for this show. Part of what we need to do is be thoughtful and read a wide variety of topics, understand and think about them, and be prepared to uh, adjust our worldview based on gathering information. Because facts do matter at the end of the day when one is analyzing, did any of the COVID measures provide value to the citizens of the United States? We can now analyze that. We have a lot of data that tells us that lockdowns didn't really do anything, that masks didn't do anything, that we do know that the shuttering of schools did something. And what it did was horrible things. It caused kids to fail to gather social cues and, and learn socialization. They lost or did not have the opportunity to learn all the subjects they would have learned at their various different ages uh, that were denied that. Uh, it didn't change the outcome, health outcomes for children. Of Lewis's death number, by the way, what what percent were 18 and under? Well,
1: I can tell you the oh, child, I can tell you 18 and under deaths from the beginning of COVID to today.
2: Oh, by all means. It, 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 it's just about 2,000. So I think it would be. that seems high. It, 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 so it, it, I,
3: I, I think the number you gave me earlier in the phone call as we were discussing this is quite low. And that the what we have done, all of those things aimed at schools and children was not ultimately to save their lives or protect them from COVID. It was to protect the adults in the room from their fear of COVID and the fact that one of those anxiety-creating problems is children losing their minds over the fact that they have been inculcated into this notion that they have to be protected from their parents and grandparents. I'll offer you Uh, another rationale.
2: Please. If if the federal government is telling you as a parent that this disease is so severe that we have to change the way that your 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 children interact with the world and totally reshuffle your whole family's routine and schedule, then it probably bears some weight on your thinking that this is actually a problem in some sense it's it's a rather brilliant little intimidation campaign, wouldn't you say Sure absolutely well, that's the
3: point that, that at the end of the day. Uh, that we all need to use information and facts and analyze them carefully and be willing to talk about them rationally. This show is crucial to that kind of discussion. We need more of that in these United States because what is at stake, as your monologue points out in the first hour, what is at stake is the survival of this institution. And while the gates demonstrate that people around the world are trying to get here, the terms on which they ultimately get here and the self-selection is biased against maintaining this society. Why do I say that? Put it this way. The people who wait in line and who are, are abiding by the rules and understand that the rule of law matters are still waiting to get here. Yep, that's the people right. who have thrown out that's the rule right. of law and that's who are then become wards of the state and are rewarded for illegal behavior are the ones who are let in. Here's what you what don't, kind of society do you get?
1: Here's what you don't get on CNN or other places on uh real time fact check. You were right. 2000 was too high. Total number of people under the age of 18 who died over the entire course of covid is one thousand six hundred and ninety five. Be right back. That's an appropriate song. <laughs> isn't Trini, it? Lopez? Trini Lopez. Yeah. Doing a little uh, West Side Story there. Uh Lewis Holman, it's so great to have you back. I hope we can make this regular.
3: Oh, I do too.
1: Hugh Holman, why don't you sum everything up? You're so good at that. And give us our closing argument for the day.
3: The closing argument for the day is that we need your listeners to continue to be watchful or listen carefully. I should probably use the right analogy. Your uh, monologue talks about how we have corrupted our entire immigration system with the likelihood that that corruption is based on a short-term and a long-term gain for the Democratic Party to gather more voters in a way that they don't care will corrupt the very basis of this system. In doing that, we put at risk the truly, as Lewis made mention in the first segment, the shining city on the hill. We must recognize that we who were lucky enough to be born here are here, have an obligation to... Remember what both or all three of Thomas Jefferson said in the Declaration of Independence that Abraham Lincoln reminded us in the Gettysburg Address and Ronald Wilson Reagan uh, in his uh, inaugural and his farewell address as president reminded us that this opportunity is not automatic. It is not born in the bloodstream. It must be passed from generation to generation. And if we fail to teach our children what the lessons are from this society and the value and the virtues that this society provides, it can be lost. That those who have tasted and enjoyed freedom but lost it, never taste it again. And we know that it is a value because people around the globe see this shining city on the hill and long to be part of it. And there's a right way to do that and a wrong way to do that. I will be the first to tell you that our immigration system is completely broken on both the illegal mess that we have at our borders and the legal process. The legal processes are set up in a political system as well to reward certain groups and uh, and dissuade others. Frankly, I would like to invite more of those people who want to come to this country legally to be able to arrive here. They are exactly the kinds of people who came before my generation and my parents' generation and my grandparents' generation, people who came over on very slow-moving ships, risking life and limb to taste the freedom that was here. And the unique nature of these United States is that being from here and in this country— You do have the opportunity to reach the American dream. Some people on the left now poo-poo that is a falsehood. The best example I can think of that everybody would know is Benjamin Franklin. He was born in poverty and rose from the poverty he experienced then, ran away from his brother as an indentured servant, effectively, and grew businesses. And his great recognition as a founder of this country was that we could create a middle class that was not dependent on position of birth. That's what this country offers every single person listening to us and every other person in this country.
1: Thank you, Holmans. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. I'm Seth and are Hugh and Lou. Class dismissed.